The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue our series on the book of Job, we come now to Eliphaz the Temanite and his first argument against Job. Eliphaz bases his argument on his own experience and his own observations. In other words, what he has seen and what he can see. And therein lies his primary problem. Join us today as we begin to look at this misplaced argument that Eliphaz makes against Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
morning we want to go to the fourth chapter of the book of Job. And we're going to begin reading here. We're going to look at the first of Job's miserable comforters, a man named Eliphaz. In chapter 5 and verse 7, Eliphaz makes the statement, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Eliphaz's approach to Job's troubles, as we've already talked about in the last message where we kind of conducted an overview of all of these miserable comforters, is that he comes to Job from his own experience. Now, you know, the, you know the background. I don't think I have to review very much, but just to remind ourselves where we are, Job, who is living in a very righteous manner, but yet who still has some pride and self-righteous issues, self-righteousness issues, is, is now being afflicted not by God, as most of the world would say, but by the devil who had his uh, target, if you will, had his sight set on Job. And because of the hedge God had placed around Job, he could not get to him. You know, as we've already said many times in this study of Job, uh, people think that, jo- that God brought Job to the devil's attention. But the truth is the devil already had his bullseye upon him. He already had a target placed on his back and he just couldn't get there because of the hedge. And rather than God afflicting Job, as many people think, it's the devil that's trying to get him. And ultimately, God does remove the hedge, but only to a certain extent. And praise God, he does that today. He is still the great keeper of the hedge. See, the na- we said this from the beginning of this study. If we misunderstand what's going on in Job, we are very likely to misunderstand the nature of God. God is not a great manipulator. God is not some deceptive, arbitrary God like Zeus and, and Hera and all those, uh, that pantheon of Greek and, and Roman gods that were always playing tricks on humanity. God is not playing a trick on Job. And remember the three primary themes of the book of Job. I'm not saying it's an exhaustive list, but it's at least the, the three that jump out to me are patience, that is, the patience of Job in the way he endured his trials, and, and also pride, that is twofold, the pride of God about Job's actions. He, you know, God said to, said to the devil, he said to Satan, have you considered Job? He's a great, he's living well. Now, he's not elevating him or vaunting him in the flesh. Job was a child of God. Job was a born-again child of God, and as a born-again child of God, he's able to please God, and God delights when his born-again children live in a way that pleases him. He delights in that. He loves the fellowship with his children. He was proud of Job, but also the second aspect of that pride is the pride of Job and the pride of his friends. And we're going to see some of that starting to come out throughout these episodes where his friends come to him and they begin to to bring these arguments and accusations against Job. And Job begins to defend himself. And and then ultimately, as James tells us in chapter 5 and verse 11, pity, pity is one of the great themes of the book of Job, the pity of God. God, we're told by James, is very pitiful and of tender mercies. And if you come away from Job with any view of God other than that, then you've missed out on what the book of Job is talking about. Yes, he's great. Yes, he sits high in the heavens, but praise God, he looks low upon his people. 
He, dang, he condescended even to become flesh, to become a man in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God was so pitiful and so, so much of tender mercies toward his children that he even came down here as a man, divested himself, laid aside his glory that he had in heaven and came down to walk these, these dusty roads of death down here on this earth. So that's the background. And now we see Eliphaz, who has come to, to Job, along with Bildad and Zophar, whom Job calls miserable comforters, by the way. Uh, they, they come and they sit silent with him. The best thing they ever did was be quiet. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best thing we can ever do when it comes to, to someone of, who, is, who is hurting, who is grieving. But here we finally find Eliphaz beginning to open his mouth. In the third chapter, Job had begun to bemoan his estate, and he began to, uh, to cry out before them in pain and, and in mourning over what's happened to him. He's lost all the things that he had materially. He's lost all of his children, and he's now lost his health. And he's, he, he, he's praying, God, I wish I'd never been born. I wish that if, I, if, if you would just let me die in the womb, if you would let me die immediately after birth, and if not that, Lord, I wish you'd just kill me now. This is a man who is hurting. This is a man who has been afflicted in so many ways. You know, you've been there. I've been there where it seems like just one thing after another after another comes upon us and it piles up and it gets worse and worse. And finally, you get to the point where you wish you could die. Elijah got there. Elijah was sitting out under a juniper tree. He had experienced some great things in his life. But yet, when the pressure came, it began to crumple him. He began to, he began to fall under it. And he was was saying, Lord, I'm ready to die. Now we know that suicide does not send you to hell. That's what the world teaches, right? That if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. We know that that's not the case. The way you leave this world has no impact whatsoever on where you end up. But we also believe that suicide is the absolute wrong answer. You know how I know that? Primarily from the life of Elijah. Elijah thought his work was over. He thought there was no hope for him. He thought there was nothing he could do anymore. It was time for him to die. He wished for himself that he could die. Lord, kill me, he says. Same thing Job is saying here. Lord, kill me. Take my life. You know what Elijah had left to do? He didn't know it. All he could see was his circumstances, what was right in front of his face. God finally... By the way, he treated, some, he treated him physically, didn't he? He fed him. He put him to sleep. You know, sometimes when the load gets too heavy, we need to rest. We need to eat right. That's, that's pretty clear from Elijah's case. He needed, he needed some physical treatment. You know, it's okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there's time. We have doctors today that can help us in a physiological way when we get overwhelmed in life. And that's... that's that's absolutely okay. It happened in Elijah's case. But ultimately, we need to remember what happened to Elijah. God finally looked at him and he said, what are you doing here? Why are you so down and out? And he said, I've, I've, I've done all this for you, Lord. And, and they're, they're out, you know, uh, they've slain all these prophets. Now they're, they're out to kill me. I'm the only one left. God said, get up and get to work because I've got 7,000 just like you. You just don't know it. 
Don't ever think that what you see happening in your life is all there is that's going on. There was a scene that Job could, there was a situation Job couldn't see. All Job could see was the loss of all of his, his stuff, all the loss of his family. He could, but there was a scene that Job had no idea was going on between God and Satan there in the worship service even. He was there at a time when they were all come together to worship God. And Satan and God invisibly there to the human eye were, were, were present. He told Elijah, he said, I've still got work for you to do. Elijah's greatest work, the greatest work of his ministry was left to do after the juniper tree. He thought it was over. He thought, you know, he had slain all those prophets of Baal and it was a great thing, but he still had to anoint two kings. And not only that, more importantly, he had to anoint his successor, Elisha. He had to, and, and by the way, the other beautiful thing about Elijah's life, and I could easily get off preaching about Elijah this morning, so I'm going to move on after this. You know, Elijah, he said, it's just not worth it, Lord. I'm, just, just kill me. Just take me out. Guess who didn't die? <laughs> Elijah didn't die. <laughs> Elijah wanted to die. He thought there was nothing left but for him to die. Guess who didn't die? One of two people in the Old Testament that didn't die. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Elijah was taken home on a chariot of fire. <laughs> I could just see him. I hope. I don't know how... I know the Lord has a sense of humor. I, I, I look in the mirror and I know he's got a sense of humor. I know the Lord has a sense of humor, I believe. And I just got to believe that at some point in that chariot that they must have dipped right down by that juniper tree and let Elijah take a look at it. And I know he's just shaking his head and laughing all the way home about how foolish he had been. <laughs> I, I just believe it with all my heart. I, don't, I can't prove it from the scripture, Brother Mackey, so I won't, I won't preach it as doctrine, but I believe it. <laughs> Job is in the same condition. Job can't see what all is going on. And Job has been crying out in pain. And now's the time, now's the appropriate time for his friends to try to help him. But there's a problem with his friends. It may be a problem with some of your friends. I know it's even been a problem with me myself before. They know a lot of truth. And a lot of what they say we're going to see is true. And even the same case with Job. Job is going to speak a lot of truth throughout this book. But the problem with truth is that you not only need to believe it and understand it, you need to understand how to apply it. And what they were doing is they were taking some things that were true and they were misapplying them to Job's case. And that's what happens here as Eliphaz begins his rebuke of Job. Now notice his approach to Job in chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. So far, so good, right? Listen, I, I, we want to talk to you, Job. Is it okay if we talk? Is, you know, he's kind of approaching him kind of a, in an in a, in almost timid way, but, but you're fixing to find out he's not very timid. And he said, hey, man, you're doing, you know, he starts lifting him up. You, you've, ta you've taught a lot of people and you have upheld those that are weak and you've kept those who are falling from falling down and, and you, you've done some good things. But now I want you to know he starts off easy. But notice in verse four, verse five, rather, he says, but now it has come upon thee and thou faintest. It toucheth thee and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Now here, Eliphaz begins to display the self-righteous attitude that all of them have, including Job, by the way, as we'll see. 
He's, he's saying here, okay, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. You can dish it out, but you can't take it, Joe. You've done all these good things, but now look, man, it's hit you. Now, now you know, what's up with this? You're, 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 he's, he's being harsh with Job. And notice then what he says. In verse 6, he said, Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of the ways? This is that self-righteous attitude. He's saying here, your fear or your reverence of God is your confidence. He said, Is not this thy fear, thy confidence? In other words, your, your faithfulness, your faith, and then he says, your integrity, the uprightness of thy ways, is thy hope. That's, that's where you look. That's where you need to look. It's... it's, it's it's inside you. The, 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 the degree to which you fear God is what's going to uphold you. The degree to which you are faithful to Him is what's going to help you. And he says this. This is what Eliphaz believes, that, that Job's righteousness should be his confidence. That his faithfulness will be his salvation. Apply this to yourself, Job, even as you have applied it to others. Now, I don't know what Job actually said to others, but apparently it was something along these same lines. Just hang in there and do right and you'll be okay. Be faithful and things will get better. You know, we hear it today, don't we? Name it and claim it, you know. Eliphaz and his friends were the first proponents of the prosperity gospel. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be suffering all these things. And it's going to get even worse because he's going to ultimately, as, he, as we're getting into his argument here, uh, he's ultimately going to accuse Job of secret unrighteousness. He's going to look to the conclusion of the matter. He's going to look to what's happening to Job, to the ends of Job here that he can see, and he's going to assume some things that he shouldn't. And neither should you and I. Neither should you and I. Now. Now, let me just say this. Let me pause right here and give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. We have the benefit of the whole scriptures. They don't. As a matter of fact, if we understand and believe that this is the first book in the Bible that was, that was ever written, like I said, Genesis deals with the first things, but we're told by the scholars and the historians, and it's pretty well accepted that Job was written even before the books of Moses were written. If we understand that, then you realize that not only don't they have the benefit of the New Testament, they don't have the benefit of any of the Testaments. They didn't have any writings. God's revelation was given in a different way. In fact, this is the inspired Word of God. Now, Job gets the, <laughs> the dubious honor of being the, the first one whose experiences are recorded in an inspired way in Scripture for us. So Eliphaz begins to approach Job, and you can see a little bit of his harshness and legalism coming through. Notice now as we look in verse 7, his argument, this is where he starts his arguments to Job. And this is his argument from his experience. His argue, remember we said before that Eliphaz is calling on his experiences to, to, to talk to Job. Bildad will talk about history and, and historical experience. But, but Eliphaz is talking about his own experiences. And notice in verse 7, the first thing here we read is, basically he says, Job, it's been my experience that people reap what they sow. Look at here. Remember, I pray thee, verse 7, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, you see, my experience, I've seen this, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. 
In other words, Job, my experience is that people reap what they sow. This didn't come out of nowhere. He's going to say that explicitly in a minute. And he says in verse 9, By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. In other words, I don't care how big and bad you are, when God decides to bring you down, buddy, you're coming down, and it's always because of something bad you did. Two problems with this. The primary problem is God's not doing this to Job. He says, by the blast of God they perish. No, this isn't the blast of God, Eliphaz. This is not the blast of God. This is the blast of Satan. This is the blast of Satan. Now look, I know the question you're thinking. It's the same question. I, but, but didn't God lower the hedge? Yes, he did. And we're going to talk about that later on in this series on Job. Yes, God lowered the hedge. And the sufferings that Job experienced, ultimately, God overruled for his glory and for his good. But, but right here, this is Eliphaz, in some senses, being an absoluter, Brother Mackey. <laughs> in some senses, he's saying, everything you see that's happening, God's doing it. You know, that's, that's what the absoluter, that's what the, the true Calvinist says, is that every single thing that occurs is pre absolutely predestinated from before the foundation of the world by God. And you know... If you believe that, then Eliphaz is exactly right. By the blast of God, this is coming upon you. But remember, as we've said, it's not God that's doing it, and we're not absoluters. Now, I want to stop here and say one other thing. You remember when I told you earlier that we have to be careful in reading the book of Job? You have to rightly divide it because there's a lot of truth in it. But most of the time, the truth is misapplied. Here's some truth, okay? Eliphaz is right. Uh, now, he's saying, he, this is what he's saying. If you were living a godly life, you wouldn't be experiencing these troubles, okay? Now, that's how he's applying this, but the principle of sowing and reaping is true. Sowing and reaping is a true principle. Over in the book of Galatians, uh, in the 6th chapter, in the 7th verse, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That is a true principle in the Word of God. And, and by the way, ultimately... Ultimately, God always blesses his children. Ultimately, he always does. But the question here is not ultimate, but immediate. What's happening here? See, this principle of if you do good, you will be blessed, versus if you do wrong, you will, you will not be blessed. That's a general principle in the Word of God. But the problem with this is, is that even though that's a general principle, a principle is not a law. God did not decree that every single time you do something good, you're going to get a penny for it. You know? The idea is not that every time you do something good, you're going to get a blessing for it. Uh, that is generally what happens. But what about Psalm 73? What about the 73rd Psalm? I'm not going to turn there and read it, but if you go over there and turn there, if you get in your, in the idea in your head that every time you sow something good, you're going to reap something good. And every time you sow something bad, you're going to reap something bad. 
you're going to get as confused as Asaph was who wrote that psalm. And you know what he said? He said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. And the reason for that was he was seeing how the wicked actually prosper in the world. There are, there are wicked in the world who prosper. There are things that happen that, that fall out to the good, apparently, it appears, to the wicked of this world. Now, ultimately, Asaph came back to the conclusion, after going to the house of the Lord, that their feet were on slippery places. You know, someone said this one time, and it's true, the only heaven the reprobate will ever see is what they experience here in this life. And the, and the flip side of that is the only hell a child of God will ever experience is what they experience here in this life. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.